I, I do a podcast. I'm not, I'm not interested in your podcast. The anathema of God was for those who denied justification by faith alone. When that is at stake, we need to be on the battlefield exposing the air and combating the air. We are unabashedly, unashamedly Clarkian. And so the next few statements that I'm going to make, I'm probably going to step on all of the Vantillian toes at the same time. And this is what we do at Simple Riff around the radio, you know. We are polemical and polarizing Jesus style. I would first say that to characterize what we do as fashion is itself fashion. It's not hate, it's history, it's not fashion, it's the Bible. Jesus said, Woe to you, and men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way, as opposed to, Blessed are you when you have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. It is on. We're taking the gloves off. It's time to battle. Welcome to Semper Reformanda Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible is entire, in its entirety is applied to all of life. Um, so we've got some really important things to talk about today, and unfortunately Tim wasn't able to join us today, as it's um, me, Carlos, and, and Hiram joining us uh, to talk about um, Wilson and some Piper, the, the continuing the fatal flaws of Piper's uh, view of final salvation. Um, but maybe Tim will be able to join us later on, hopefully. His, uh, I think his daughter was sick or something like that, and so we'll see how that turns out. But anyway, Hiram, welcome back to the show. Um, how's everything going on your end? Good, good to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I've been looking forward to this, uh, to talking about this. Um, so let's let's jump right in. This I wanted to start out by talking about. Uh, Doug Wilson and we that was what our previous episode was about um, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that go ahead and check it out because we we kind of uh, we called out basically Doug Wilson and James White in that interview because there was some pretty bad uh, stuff going on there and so I wanted to um, kind of recap a few of those criticisms and add some clarification and detail to that um, from the previous episode. So uh, the first thing is that so there was like major issues with that interview that Wilson kind of exposed himself in in an attempt to defend himself. And so one of the one of the big issues is that he was perverting the covenant of works by confusing condescension with grace so just because god condescends uh to man doesn't necessarily mean that he's giving him grace because grace implies that you've done something wrong and so it's interesting because in that interview doug said that works is bad works is always bad in the bible and so he he's basically giving a completely 100 percent negative connotation to the term works 
And so that creates a big problem, obviously, because works are not always bad in the Bible. I mean, duh, you know, it's like works are necessary in order for us to be saved because that's exactly what Christ did in 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 as the last Adam, he fulfilled the covenant of works by keeping the law perfectly. So works are, there's a, there's a very clear principle that Romans 4 talks about. Um, let me jump to that. This is where Paul says that uh, if you receive something after having done something, it's not a gift, but wages earned. Right. Yeah, so, so there's, well, th there's this issue of works... This issue, this whole notion of works being bad in the Bible, they are not bad. They're not bad even for Christians because Christians do good works because we've been regenerated by the Spirit of God uh, th through faith. And so we do good works as Christians, as believers. And now he was, I think, referring to specifically to salvation, earning works for salvation. But again, the the point the whole point of the covenant of works was not to earn salvation. It was to earn glorification. It was to earn eternal life. So it, it's not a bad thing for God to promise you something, namely eternal life, and then say, well, keep my law perfectly and you'll earn it. That's like, the, well, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Those are the stipulations that God put forth in the covenant of works. That is the covenant of works. And D Wilson claimed to affirm it, but then he blatantly contradicted himself by saying, oh, well, works are a bad thing. And so I believe that God dealt graciously even with Adam. So he's actually talking about works in that context. And so he's he's screwing it all up. I mean, he's totally messing this up. And so... And that's an... Sorry to interrupt, but that's an... That is a that's a denial of the covenant of works. Yeah, exactly. What he's doing. He's saying he affirms the covenant of works, but by saying works are a bad thing and, and the original covenant situation was such that um, it was a gracious situation in which the works contributed no part or uh, only a small part or played a part in addition to the grace. Uh, he's denying the covenant of works, right? A gracious covenant of works is not a covenant right. of works, period. So, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was denying monocovenantalism and ironically, that's him saying that God dealt graciously with Adam is exactly what monocovenantalists say. And so... Because they believe, they believe in a uni, unilateral covenant of grace, an overarching covenant of grace without any covenant of works. And so that that's a big problem right there. And another reason this is a big problem is because another thing Wilson said was he was using the term faith univocally. Uh, univocally. Univoc univoc how do you say that? Univocally? Univocally, yeah. Um, or univocally. Univocally. Un or un univocally, Either right. Either way, yeah. And... Yeah, he was using it in the same sense without distinguishing how it completely differs before and after the fall. And he was saying, well, Adam believed, Adam believed, and so God was gracious to him. And it's like, dude, he didn't believe in order to be forgiven for his sins that he hadn't committed yet. The terms of the covenant of works were obedience to gain eternal life. It's like, yeah, obviously he believed God that he would do that. But faith in that sense is not the same sense of after the fall. When, because previously, what, what I was calling him out for is that he equivocated on a term. He actually didn't equivocate. He univocated, which means he used this term faith as if it applied in the same exact sense 
after the fall as it does before the fall. Before the fall as it does after the fall. And so, that's a problem. That again shows that he's a monocovenantalist. Because it's not making these vital distinctions that happen as a result of the covenant of works being broken and then a new covenant of grace being ushered in uh, as a result of that. And so the conditions are radically different now because we cannot gain eternal life as a, uh, uh, after the fall. Hypothetically speaking, Adam was given the opportunity and he failed. Of course, it was predestined for him to fail. But hypothetically speaking, he was given the opportunity to do it. We don't have, we don't even stand a chance because now we're born condemned, guilty in Adam. And so he totally univocated on the term, making it seem like, oh yeah, it, you know, I, I believe that God was, was gracious to uh, Adam. And even if he had kept it perfectly, like, dude, you could not be, how much more do you need to pervert the covenant of works than what, you, that's exactly what monocovenantalists basically say. So, th this is one thing that's very frustrating about Wilson because he'll affirm the right thing and he'll start saying, explaining things correctly. But, but when he starts explaining his own particulars, like his own view of things, his own uh, idiosyncratic uh, you know, particularities of, of his perspective, he starts totally contradicting the, the orthodox and the reformed scriptural position that he's, that he's claiming. And so, then Piper does something very similar too. That's why they're very similar in this sense because they, they, they affirm the, the right view or the right doctrine and then they start talking about final salvation or saying that God was gracious to Adam and it's like before the fall or even if he had kept it perfectly and it's like, well, you're totally perverting the, the, the definitions. That's not, the, that's not what those terms or the, what those doctrines mean or teach. And so that's a huge problem. And, um, yeah, and yeah, so and the way he's treating faith, the univocalization of faith, if you want to put it that way, um, it's reminiscent of how, um, let's say, an Arminian will approach the issue of faith as well, right? Faith is something that naturally everybody has, you know what I mean? And so, of course, it's not that big of a leap to go from, you know, for the Arminian to go from having a general faith that you can uh, kind of muster up on your own to having faith in the gospel. You see what I'm saying? And I've even heard Arminians say this before. You know, like the the distinction is one of degrees, not a one of uh, not a of of kinds, right? But that's the same kind of reasoning that you have with somebody uh, when someone like Wilson says, "Well, um, Adam always had faith." Well, of course, Adam always had faith. Everyone who's created has faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Romans chapter one is very yeah. clear about this. Yeah. We all know that there's a God. We all know that we're morally accountable to Him. We all know that. Um, you know, his law, et cetera, and so forth, right? And we, we know these things by faith. God has revealed these things to us. So, I don't know. I just see it as along the same lines, the same sort of dangerous, uh, wrong-headed thinking, that failure to make those distinctions that are there. Because like you said, faith after the fall is different than faith before the fall. The faith of the natural man, of meaning not, yeah. in, the, not in the strict uh, uh, theological sense of natural man, meaning the fallen man, right? But the faith of all men, in that general sense, like there's a God who created us and we're accountable to him, that's different than, than saving faith. You know what I mean? And you, you can't blur the two together. Right. They're different. You know, saving faith is a gift and it's, it's just different, you know? But yeah, he's, he makes a mess out of a whole bunch of stuff and 
it's hard for me to say that this is done accidentally. Yeah. I, I don't believe that it's done accidentally for someone who who obviously knows theology. No. He's doing it on purpose. He says one thing, then he backtracks through through cute sounding sound bites <laughs> and you know, re uh, injects his former statement of orthodoxy with heresy. I mean, this is something that false teachers always do, you know. Yeah. He he he'll even state it correctly and then he'll start talking about his own view as if it was perfectly in line with what he stated earlier that was orthodox and it's like no you're totally contradicting yourself now and so that's why he's so dangerous that's why people need to be very careful with him um because he he's one of the worst ones at doing this well the best ones in that sense that he's he's good at doing it and it's similar to piper because he tries to yeah he tries to affirm the right view and then totally pervert it with his own particular um understanding of it which completely changes the terms and the doctrines that uh, that that it originally means, and so um, so yeah, that's kind of a problem, you know. It's it's not something that we can just be friendly with on on an interview and not bring it up and not correct them on it, and just act like it's not a big deal. Um, so and I want to say this too, if yeah. you don't mind. Uh, Something that drives me nuts is okay. Even if you're, if you're a Doug Wilson fan and you don't want to go the route of saying that he's an unregenerate, unregenerate heretic, okay, fine. You want to take precaution in saying that, even though there's over a decade's worth of material proving that that's the case. Uh, at the very least, could you not just admit that the man is completely unqualified to teach? Yeah, he's not reliable. That, that's one of the things that drives me nuts. Like he cannot teach. He is unqualified to teach, and the reason why is because. He is unclear. At if you want to give him the most excessively over the top charitable reading, right of what he's saying, he is unclear about what he's saying and he's confused about what he's saying. And like I said, this is this is mystical, mythical, uh, unicorn land interpretation charitability here, right? Because I don't believe this is the case at all. But if you want to be as quote unquote nice as possible, Doug Wilson is confused about what he's saying. He doesn't know exactly what he's saying, and he is leading other people into confusion. And he's misleading a whole bunch of other people. And he's unqualified in that sense. But not only that, here's here's the big thing that drives me nuts as well. If the man has been corrected year after year after year after year, if he's been called out to to uh, to clarify what it is that he teaches year after year after year after year, and he gets upset about it like he obviously does, and he refuses to be even clearer than he was before, and he refuses to go back and fix his errors so that people aren't confused, because obviously people are confused, then doesn't that bespeak like a giant issue of pride to the man's heart? Yeah. I think it obviously does. And if a man is that proud that he does not want to change his teaching, he doesn't want to, and even in terms of just clarifying what he's saying, and he doesn't want to acknowledge that he is the source of the confusion, not all of his critics, because this is something that always comes up with Wilson. It's always the other people who don't understand him. Woe is me, for no one understands me. It drives me nuts because this is something heretics have always said, and they will always say. You, oh, you just don't understand me. You haven't read this thing that I wrote over here. You haven't read that thing over there that I wrote. Well, it's your job to be clear. It's your job to be abundant and clear in what you're teaching. And if you refuse to be, then that's on you. And you have an issue of pride that needs to be dealt with. And you have no business standing in front of God's people claiming to be a teacher because you're not. But what, what does scripture say about the elder, right? 
he has to be the the elder. One of the qualifications for being an elder is humility. One of the qualifications is, yeah, exactly, apt to teach, and also he has to be able to be corrected as well. Yep. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So even on just a practical level, without going into the specifics of monocovenantalism and the denial, the subtle denial of justification by faith alone, the idea of baptismal regeneration, the idea of union with Christ through baptism, all these things that were part of the federal vision that he denies were part of it. Um, even not going into that, the man is unqualified to be a teacher. He's confusing and he's proud and he's and he refuses to repent of his pride. He refuses to fix his teaching from the past and he puts all of the blame on anyone who listens to him that's wicked yeah that's wrong there's a big problem with he has a big problem because um so one of the other things that um that that i had mentioned in the previous episode was that and that we had talked about was you know he, he was claiming that federal vision is not a problem because robbins john robbins was just trigger happy at the auburn auburn avenue conference uh and because according to him, pretty much all of the federal visionists are sound, even the oatmeal stout guys who may de- deny regeneration, and ignoring the fact that m- pretty much just about every major reform denomination officially condemned federal vision, some even specifically warned against Doug Wilson himself. And so this is what's so... And and what's what's even w- stranger is that like you you were alluding to the whole thing about him being arrogant and prideful. He so I have a I have a copy of Not Reformed at All uh, by John Robbins and Sean Garrity. So it's it, this is Not Reformed at All: Medievalism and Reformed Churches. It's a, basically a critique of Doug Wilson, and um, th- this is interesting because they point out the fact that the reason the reason that that Wilson wrote not reformed enough was basically a response uh, to something to somebody trying to to call these the, uh, this conference out then this federal vision movement out. So I'm going to read a part of that book. I'm on uh, page 13 here, and I'm I want to read a, a few paragraphs here. So Norman Shepard is but the tip of the neo-legalist iceberg floating in the reformed sea. Because there was no disciplinary judgment against Shepherd by any ecclesiastical body, and because the ground had been prepared for his confusion concerning covenant and justification by the Vantilian confusion about God and Revelation, Shepherd's teaching attracted more and more followers. Once again, a few recognized the error and spoke out. In the summer of 1999, Ileana Presbytery in the Presbyterian Church in America tried and deposed the man from the ministry for sacerdotalism. He was a protege of Reconstructionist writer James Jordan, a student and supporter of Norman Shepard. Despite being deposed from the ministry in the PCA, Burke Shade was recognized and accepted as a minister in good standing by Douglas Wilson's new denomination, the Confederation of Reformed Evangelicals, which I think is short, uh, the short, the the acronym is CREC, or I think it's CREC. And, yeah. Yeah. And so, in June... 2002, another pocket of resistance to the revolution appeared. This is, this is important. Covenant Presbytery of the Reformed Presbyterian Church in the United States, this RPCUS, denounced a number of old heresies and new frocks and issued a call to repentance to the speakers at the 2002 Auburn Avenue Presbyterian Church Pastors Conference sponsored by the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA, congregation in Monroe, Louisiana. One of the errors the RPCUS denounced was belittling revealed propositional truth. The list of those charged and urged to repeat 
to repent included PCA Pastor Stephen Wilkins of the Auburn Avenue Presbyterian Church, Pastor Stephen Schlichel of Messiah's Congregation in Brooklyn, New York, United Reformed Church of North America, Pastor John Barrich, and Douglas Wilson, pastor of Church Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, and leader of an ecclesiastical educational complex that includes Credenda Agenda, St. Andrews College, Logo School, Canon Press, and the Confederation of Reformed Evangelicals. So, he the book also points out that Wilson evidently wrote his book, Not Reformed Enough, as a response to this call to repent. So, as you can see here, Robbins had nothing to do with this. In 2002, before that, in 2002, he was already being called out by a number, by a number of of elders and pastors, um, from the uh, yeah the Covenant Presbytery of of the RPCUS denounced the 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 conference and issued a call to repentance. So this was before Robbins did anything, and it's like this. That's the reason he wrote the book, apparently as well. So it's like so. Why are you whitewashing all this history? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and do you know why he why he's referencing Robbins in particular? I wonder. Because he did that with, with James White, right? Yeah. Well, if you go back in the Dividing Line episodes with James White, uh, something that I've heard him say um, more than once, not like a, a bunch of times, more than once, is um, he, t- he talks poorly about John Robbins. And the reason why is because for him, John Robbins was this sort of fundamentalist who said, if you in any way, uh, the way he characterized it is... Uh, and I have to go back and find the episode where he says it, but he characterized John Robbins as a, as a person who um, would condemn you if you didn't automatically just write off all Roman Catholics as the most vile, despicable people on the face of the earth, right? And this is James White. He said something along these lines. That was his his criticism mm-hmm. of John Robbins. Okay, John. So James White, his attitude toward John Robbins is critical in understanding why Doug Wilson is bringing up John Robbins, right? You're using John Robbins as a way of deflecting criticism away from yourself. It's kind of like with with um, with uh, with J.D. Hall, right? In Pulpit and Pen. Okay, J.D. Hall can be acerbic sometimes in the way he says things. He's very straightforward. He's very blunt, right? Um, and people don't like that. Now, J.D. Hall says something true, and person X over here doesn't like the way he says it. Person Y over here doesn't like this way, the way he says it. They come together and they say, oh, you know that J.D. Hall, he overstates things. You know what I'm saying? And this happens all the time. And basically what I'm saying here is that's what's going on in the situation with John Robbins, with Doug Wilson and James White. When they're, you know, when Doug Wilson brings him up, that's the whole reason why John Robbins is brought up. This is a typical deflection tactic as well. You know, uh, something that you learn when, uh, at least how can I put it? I've been in situations where I've been with, I had people that have claimed to be my friends that are like literally sociopaths, right? These people who have, quote-unquote, no conscience. They have a conscience, obviously. But they the moral com- commitment that they have is first and foremost and only to themselves. And they will do everything uh, under the sun to make it appear as if they're on your side. And that's how they function. And the heretics are the same way. You know what I mean? They do the same exact thing. They, oh, you're against this? Well, I'm against that, too. Oh, you're for this? I'm for this, too. And they will find the one place which is most... Um, the, they'll find the one place where it really sticks... You know what I'm saying? They'll find the one place where they can really like uh, latch onto you, as it were, and make uh, make it seem as if they're on your side. It's the same thing a sociopath does. You know what I mean? 
And in my opinion, that's what Doug Wilson is doing by bringing up John Robbins. He he knows it's not about John Robbins. He knows that John Robbins is not the only person critiquing him. He knows that. Yeah. But this is the way that he presents it because people are going to look up John Robbins and be like, oh, well, he's, you know, he has a tendency to be acerbic. He has a tendency to be a little, quote unquote, not, not nuanced enough, right? He's a little too straightforward. Well, it's easy to dislike somebody who's in your face with the truth. It's easy to like someone like Wilson, who is basically flattering you. I mean, because that's what's going on, right? By saying, I share the same opinion that you have. Your opinion is good, and I agree with you. But you're flattering that person indirectly. And again, this is another thing Scripture talks about when it talks about false teachers. It's not just the content. It's the matter in which the false teacher cozies up to people who are sound in order to deceive, if possible, the elect. And that's kind of what I see happening with, with Doug Wilson when he says, Oh, well, John Robbins, you know, that guy. It's the same sort of thing. You know what I mean? Cozying up and then inserting himself in there as if he's on the same side as somebody who is sound when he's not. Yeah, he, he's, he's, you know, and he said that, and I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with what James White had said on Robbins, but he's said that on the Iron Sharpens Iron radio interview with uh, Chris Arnsens too. So he keeps... He keeps repeating this like it. That's his go-to, that's his standard recounting of of the story, and it, it's it's amazing how it, it like it's so flat out wrong, and even just on like a basic chronological historical basis, it's it kind of like what is this guy's problem? You know, he's he's it's dishonest. It, it's he's, totally he's dishonest. Yeah, I mean, it's a flat out. Yeah, it's a flat out lie. And he needs to be called out for it. And and along those same lines, if you look at one of the criticisms that you will constantly hear from Wilson against those who oppose him, right? He will always go to R. Scott Clark. He won't go to Dewey Roberts. He won't go to John Otis, right? He won't go to Guy Prentice Waters. Yeah. He won't go to J.V. Fesco. He won't go to the whole staff at, at Westminster, California, basically. And other people all over the place, even people that I would disagree with, like uh, David Engelsma, right? who himself, uh, if I'm not mistaken, denies the covenant of works as well, but he's sound on the doctrine of salvation. Um, he won't go to any of those people. He'll go to R. Scott Clark. And why does he do that? Well, because R. Scott Clark, again, is another point of deflection from any real criticism, right? Because basically what you want to do is set your opponents up as what you're saying is, well, they're just fanboys of John Robbins. They're, they're the Clarkians. If you, if you want to look at the broader picture, right, Doug Wilson knows that his fans are primarily going to be, what, Vantillians. Right, because he's along the same lines as other Vantillians like James White, like uh, more importantly Greg Bonson, and of course Cornelius Vantill. They come, they come along in that stream of Vantillians, right? Westminster Philly, or whatever. But he sets up John Robbins as one of the whipping boys. Okay, if you disagree with him, it's because you've been deceived by John Robbins, or you're following his his diatribe against Doug Wilson. That's completely unjustified. That that's how the narrative goes, at least. Or you've been deceived by R. Scott Clark, who doesn't know anything about uh, covenantal theology. This is the portrayal that I find amongst federal visionists. Well, they'll say R. Scott Clark doesn't really know uh, history, even though the man has a doctorate <laughs> in history, right? He knows historical theology. Or they'll say like, oh, well, uh, that's his unique portrayal of covenant theology or his unique portrayal of reformed theology. And for some reason, he has it in for me, right? So you have these two whipping boys that are set up. The first one is John Robbins, 
who was a Clarkian, who obviously was not a Vantilian, who had issues with Vantil. And that's playing to... And I'm sorry if I'm getting too too into the psychology of this, but this is something I, I really wish people would pick up on, right? These are strategies that false teachers use. They are manipulative. And this is something that's being done. You know, to, to point to one figurehead and say, he's the issue. When in reality, in history, there's a ton of other people who, who disagree with that person, a false teacher. That's a way of deflecting criticism. And Doug Wilson has done that with John Robbins. And when you look at threads in which Doug Wilson is mentioned alongside other uh, contemporary people, the one person that's always brought up as the whipping boy is R. Scott Clark. And the reason why is because people have issues with R. Scott Clark for other reasons. And I think one of the reasons why is because he's vocal about his opposition to the federal vision. But there are tons of other people who are vocal about their opposition to the federal vision as well. Entire denominations, like we mentioned the last time, five denominations, right? Why isn't Wilson referencing anybody else from there? Why is he going after Brian Shortley, for instance, a theonomist of all, who was also a Vantillian, if I'm not mistaken, right? And that man bitterly opposes Doug Wilson and everything federal vision. So it's a deflection tactic. Yeah, it's a total mess. He is not reliable, and he should not be trusted. He is not reliable for doctrine. He's not reliable for, to teach on or to, to, to talk about federal vision. Nothing he says is reliable because it, it's it's a total twisting to make himself and his movement look good and, and to make his enemies look like foolish or confused, And when in reality he's the one who's foolish and confused. And so, um, yeah, we definitely want to sound the alarm against him and so there was another point that i wanted to touch with wilson and this this was interesting because i hadn't noticed i hadn't really noticed anybody else uh making this connection and and i thought it was kind of alarming i I thought it was kind of surprising well i mean maybe not surprising once you see what he teaches but um so there we brought up the point last time in the last episode about the fact that he was denying sola fide by claiming that you can be saved regardless of what you believe, even Romanism, because you're not saved by doctrinal works or accuracy. So I'm going to play, I'm going to play a clip from a video that he, he published through his, uh, his, you know, his media of Canon, Canon press. And so this, this video is called Chesterton and Tolkien saved question mark ask Doug. So he has, he does these little segments where he talks about theology and questions that people, you know, want to ask him. And so I'm going to go ahead and play a clip from there and then we can talk about it. All right, here we go. Number one, do you think that J.R.R. Tolkien and Chesterton were saved? Well, let's just put it this way. If they were not, then I'm in a lot of trouble. Okay. (laughs) All right. I assume that there's a follow-up question because I said well, on, on that, well, but because you're talking about their Catholicism, right? Okay. Is that the uh, right. so the, there's actually a very important point here. Some people, when some Protestants, rock rib Protestants, think if you start allowing <clears throat> Catholics to be saved, you know Chesterton and Tolkien and people like that, that you're going soft in your Protestantism. Right. Right. The, the, right. Okay. You're sort of trying to do the reproachment thing. Right. But the reason I believe that Roman Catholics can be saved is because we're not saved by works. Protestants are right. In other words, I think a lot of the diehard Protestants who say, no, um, we're saved by faith, by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, then turn around immediately and 
and then say, and you Catholics over there, you are saved by works, right? Because right. there's something you're not doing. Yeah, yeah, or there's something you are doing that's wrong. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, okay. A, that's a sin, right? Right. Well, the, of, of course, I'm not. I'm I'm as uh, Protestant as you get. I believe that Chesterton and Tolkien were wrong, and if the Protestants are wrong about salvation being only of grace, right? Then people who pray to pictures are in trouble, right? right. You're in big trouble. It's it's idolatry. I, I think that there are. Um, a number of things that the Roman Catholics do that encourage people to stumble over essential parts of the gospel. Okay. Unfortunately, a bunch of Protestants stumble over the same thing, mm. right? right. Uh, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by doctrinal works. You know, suppose I get up to the pearly gates and God says, okay, Wilson, before we let you in, we're gonna sit you down and give you a justification by faith alone test. Right. These are your these are your comprehensives. Right. Right. And you've got to get a hundred percent on justification by faith test administered by Saint Peter here to get into heaven. Who is this the PCA or is this heaven? <laughs> heaven. Oh sorry. Oh, I got confused. <laughs> the, the, um, who is going to get a hundred percent on any doctrinal test administered by the celestials or by God? You know, um, I believe if you go through any vibrant, healthy, evangelical church where the people are manifestly saved and sit them, get them all uh, taken a pop quiz or a pop right. test, okay, let's, right. I, I believe you could over, uh, uh, turn over enough flat rocks to come up with any number of heresies, bad, right. bad heresies or problematic ways. You could ways say the Trinity and you'd probably have every nice Sunday school teacher do the egg analogy, do the egg and they'd be wrong, and, it'd be, and it's a ice, heresy. Ice, water, steam. Yeah, there's all kinds of sweet Christian people right. who've got... Um, teaching heresy every Sunday. Right. Now, that doesn't make teaching heresy okay. Right. That doesn't mean that I approve of it. doesn't make it not sinful. doesn't make it not a problem. It is a problem. But it's not the kind of thing that we... I'll just boil it down. I'm a Protestant. We're not saved by works. Right. We're not saved by our doctrinal works. We're not saved by our ethical works. We're saved by the grace of God, period. Now, because that's true, because the Protestants are right, mm -hmm. Catholics can be saved. Right. <laughs> right. Does right. That, that make sense? So this is not a split the difference or, or sort of a creeping ecumenical. Let's just call it all good. Now, I right. think the issues of the Protestant Reformation were essential for powerful preaching. But justification by faith does not mean believing in justification by faith. Justification by faith means that Jesus saves us, and here's how we, here, here's how we explain what he's doing from the Scripture. Another illustration I used, uh, uh, it, it's like electricity. Justification by faith is like electricity. I want, any two-year-old child can turn on the lights in a room. Right. But I wouldn't let the two-year-old wire the house, okay? So I want, I want uh, men who are being examined at presbytery for the ministry. I want them to understand sola fide. I want them to understand it upwards and uh, upwards and downwards, backwards and forwards, because they're the electri they're the electricians. Right. They're, they're, they're the ones showing up and running wire on all the houses. And, in and the if church. they and if they don't do it right, you're going to burn the house down. Right. 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 So it's very important, but it's very important for ordination. Right? But if you stop a five-year-old and say, um, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed or infused? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. okay. I bet you could get a bunch of 
saved five-year-olds to answer that question wrong. Right. 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 Well, okay, great. Don't ordain them. Right. <laughs> right. But, but someone's but, hearing this right now and saying, yeah, but Pastor Wilson, that's the five-year-old. Right. If you ask that question to Chesterton, if you ask that question to Tolkien, right. Right. what level are you going to hold them at? Well, I'm going to hold them. Basically, what I want to know is, is the, is the grace of God present in their life? Is the Spirit of God active in their life? Now, if they say, well, how could that be when they sinned over here or they sinned or when they're sinning doctrinally? I, Chesterton exasperates me, especially when, when, whenever he edifies me and exasperates me at the same time. Whenever he gets on to Calvinists, he just talks he hates them. He, hates he, them. he talks nonsense, right? right? Um, but the reason it's, it, that's so glorious is because we're not saved by works. All right? he's, he's failing, he's sinning, he's stumbling at that point. And I don't approve of that at all. But is the grace of God, is the Spirit of God evident in his life, in his demeanor, in his work, in his insight? You bet. If, if that's not the Spirit of God, then like I began with, we're, not, we're in a lot of trouble. Wow. Where to even start? Yeah, that that was so bad. He said so many bad, just horrendous things in that couple of minutes that, oh man, that was horrible. So here's 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 the thing. He's he's saying we're not saved. So so notice that he said Catholics stumble on essential parts of the gospel, yet they can still be saved. And then he said, but Protestants stumble over the same thing because they presume that you have to be saved by a right understanding of the gospel, which is a work, according to him. He calls it a doctrinal work. And so this is total perversion and confusion. I mean, it is as bad as it can get. And it's like, okay, he, we and we already talked about in the previous episode you know the the one thing you better get right whether you're a pastor or a lay person it doesn't matter if you're a lay person or a pastor if 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 you have if you don't have a a solid understanding of the gospel in the, in a basic sense even a, even a basic sense you can you are not saved if you believe a perverted gospel or a different gospel, like Paul says in Galatians, which is what Rome teaches, which is what Wilson himself even admitted, saying that they are confused and stumble over essential parts of the gospel. And it's like, okay, so then that's why that's why I said he's basically denying sola fide, because what you believe doesn't really matter. And so, I mean, what's funny, here, here's the thing. In the James White interview, he affirmed that we're sola fide. He affirmed that we're saved by justification by faith alone. That it happens at the moment that we are uh, that we believe that we have faith. And it's like you. In this video was released in February twelfth of this year, so it was a little earlier. But notice this complete fork tongue dub, double talking that he's doing. He's totally contradicting himself. Like it does matter. What th that's what sola fide means. It matters that you affirm the right gospel because Rome affirms a false gospel of justification of faith and works, and so they they are a condemned institution. They they condemn themselves, 
and they condemned the biblical gospel of the Council of Trent and thereafter. And so he's he's so un, he's just a complete mess at this point. And so you you people need to see this because he he was also saying uh th- th- this issue of of we're saved by grace. See, we're not saved by doctrinal works. We're not saved by a right understanding of the gospel. That's not what saved us even though Paul said, this is the gospel by which you are being saved. This is the gospel that you better have a, a, a grasp on because if you don't, you are anathema. And so, are we saying that you have to have every single intricate detail of theology correctly? No, but you, you should have a basic understanding of God, man, and salvation. It just, I mean, it's a basic understanding. You're a wretched sinner. God is perfectly and holy, right, holy, holy and righteous. You deserve hell. You are you're condemned because of your sins. Christ died in your place. He satisfied the wrath of God, and you can and you and if you believe in Him, by faith alone, you can be justified and saved. And so, um, he's he's so off base here that he's he 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 himself said, you can affirm a false gospel. You can have. A, a, you can be, uh, what did, how did he say? You can be confused and have false notions of the gospel and still be saved because the Protestants are correct because we're not saved by works. And he includes doctrinal accuracy as a work. And so I want to, I wanted to bring this up for a very specific reason because something, notice he was treating, uh, doctrinal accuracy as a work and so this is this is this this has a a a very similar ring in church history that to to my knowledge i haven't seen anybody else bring this up or make the connection or point it out and i wonder it's probably because he he contradicts himself so much he'll he'll affirm sola fide and then he'll deny it like under the same in the same interview under the same breath in a different video in the same year like it's just such a mess. But so I want to. I've got a book here called "It's the TNT Clark Companion to Reformation Theology." And hey, could, yeah, can I say something before you go, go ahead. into that? Go ahead. Just one thing that I want to say real quick is that for everyone listening, uh, something that you'll hear from all sorts of false teachers is, "Well, we're saved by grace, aren't we?" When the issue of doctrine comes up, right, they will always say that we're saved by grace. I, I was in a church, a Pentecostal, happy clappy church, right, um, where <laughs> where that's something that they would say all the time. Like, well, you know, you can't be perfect about everything, of every every point of doctrine, which, first of all, that's a straw man. Nobody's saying that. Secondly, um, the fact of the matter is Scripture promises us that those who are born again of the Spirit of God will have sound theology when it comes to the most essential thing, which is what? the gospel, like you were saying. And scripture promises us that the Holy Spirit will teach us. He will illuminate our minds. He will teach us what sound doctrine is, right? That's all throughout the New Testament. It's even in the Old Testament. Go to Psalm 25 and, and David says this. He says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. And then he says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose, right? The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. This is, this, these are promises from God. And if you claim that Christians can live their entire life being complete doctrinal error when it comes to the foundational thing, which is the person and work of Christ, the gospel, and not only that, but everything else after that, 
then you are flatly contradicting what Scripture says or calling God a liar. But not only that, the, the thing that about grace, salvation by grace, is that when we say sola gratia, we don't mean just this random this random act of kindness that has no, uh, let's say, no foundation to it whatsoever, right? We say we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And faith yeah, is what? Exactly. It's assent, it's assent to propositions, right? It is understanding and assent. Of the correct gospel. Exactly, yeah. If you don't have the, if you have grace, but you don't have that that through way, let's put it that way, right? That through way of the faith in those particular propositions, which are the sound gospel, the real gospel, you don't have salvation. It, it's, it's nonsense to say we're saved by grace alone and then deny, and then try to say that you believe in sola fide when you flat out deny yeah. that you need to believe in the, the correct gospel. Sola, fi, sola gratia yeah. does not come alongside by itself and then sola fide come alongside next to it and say, hey, let's be buddies. You don't have the grace of God unless you have that sound theology that is grasped with the, by the empty hand of faith. You see what I'm saying? That grace is granted to us. We're saved through that grace, through faith, in the sound gospel that the Bible teaches. Not through some other gospel, not through false understandings of who Christ is, not through uh, Unitarianism or what is Pentecostalism or Federal Revisionism, but through what the scriptures teach. That, that's a big canard that's always brought up. Oh, you're saved by grace alone. It's doctrinal works. Well, no, it's not doctrinal works. It's what scripture teaches. The grace is given to us, and we believe in particular things that are true not in falsehoods yeah it's a it's a it's a total perverted mess and the thing about this so that is fundamentally denying the the very material principle of the reformation itself faith is the instrumental cause of justification and he just denied it he just denied that faith is a necessary uh instrument that that it's the instrumental cause of your justification like you said, it's saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? In the gospel. In the biblical gospel that the Protestant Reformation affirmed of justification by faith alone and not works. And so the way he perverts these categories of works and doctrine and grace and what you believe, he's perverting what you believe as a, as, as a work. And it's like you're totally perverting the biblical categories because... In the, in the Bible, what you believe is contrasted with works. Faith and belief is contrasted with works. It's not considered a work. It's an instrumental means of your justification because it's not a work. It's what you believe. And so, it's such a mess. And it's like, have you read the, the New Testament? I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he goes on to say, we Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen by Kephas in the twelve. So he it's, it's affirming those basic truths about the gospel, about what God has done for your wretched condition as a sinner. And so, you know, it's this man this man is is he is so unstable confusing and inconsistent and contradictory it, it it's just mind-boggling how you can the, 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 we have no business no christian has any business listening to this guy for for he is not reliable like at all and so and this is what i was getting what i was leading to 
because so I'm going to read from that book, the, the Companion to Reformation Theology. It says, Most mainstream Reformed authors simply asserted that any construal of faith as a replacement work was essentially a form of legalism or gnomism. And so this is interesting because you see history repeating itself. The Arminianism, historic Arminianism, believed that faith was a work. So this was also condemned in the... In the Dutch Reformed standards, the the council, the council of the Synod of Dort, uh, condemned this. That faith, the the, the Reformed conde- uh, confessions, and I quote this in the article on Piper as well. Um, the Reformed confessions are emphatic that faith itself is not a work attributed to your justification. It's the instrumental cause. It's the instrumental copula, as I explain it in in the article of your justification. It contributes nothing. It's not a work, and so. Notice that that is what the Reformed historically have affirmed, and they rejected the concept of faith as a work, which is what Arminians believed historically. And so, so they continue. In order to protect the complete monergism of the decrees and the doctrine of salvation, these so-called antinomians posited an intentional justification in eternity instead of an actual justification in the lifetime of the person justified. Significantly, in this construction, the role of faith is not genuinely instrumental in justification. Saving faith simply recognizes an existing justification. It looks not at the cross, but at God's decree to justification of the elect. Thus, thus redemption is so tightly locked up in eternity that no events in time can touch it, including the Arminian's faith work. So notice the, the, the phrasing here, because the Arminians believe that faith itself was a work. And so... This concept of eternal justification developed, which even evidently John Gill uh, held to, um, the, the Baptist John Gill, he held to a form of this as well. This, this concept of eternal justification basically leads to a denial of, of faith as the instrumental means of your justification. And there is a, uh, there's a section uh, in the Confession that, that specifically addresses this. And I, I can't remember. Do you, know, do you remember that, that section there? That it's not actually applied. That, that our justification is not actually applied until we believe. Uh, not off the top of my head. I don't. Sorry. Yeah. Let me see if I can uh, find it real quick here. Yeah. I know that the the Westminster Confession and the LBC, you know, 1689, both talk about how salvation or justification is not by any uh any evangelical obedience, any active evangelical obedience, or gospel obedience, as it were, and so that that itself also uh, basically is saying the same thing that we're saying right now: faith, um, believing in the gospel. When someone says, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved," that's not an act of obedience, in the in the sense that it's the means whereby you are being justified. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not faith. It's not faith as a work, as the Arminians would teach it. You know. So the. The reform documents are clear. You know, the, the best summary, I think, or the best way to put it is, faith is an empty hand. Yeah, exactly. It's the instrument, like you said, it's instrumental copula. It's, it's a passive reception of what, God, of what God has given, you know. And those who are born again by the Spirit of God have that faith already. It's been given to them. Yeah, exactly. And, and God, God grants you the gift of faith and repentance to believe in the true gospel. He opens your heart. He opens your mind to the truth of the word. And and so I found the section here in Westminster Confession, chapter eleven, which is of justification, section 
4 says this, God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect, and Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their, well, that should be because of their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified. Un so catch this. Nevertheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them, and that is by faith. And so, decreeing to justify you is not the same thing as actually justifying you. And Wilson here appears to be uh, appears to be committing the error of eternal justification. It's a very similar problem, and people, it, it's 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 one thing because. It's it's a little tricky because he's affirming well this this justification this justification justification happens at the time you believe it happens when you're converted that's what he was affirming with James White in the James White interview but look at what he's saying here you see what he's saying here he's he's just basically saying he's unhinging uh, faith alone from grace alone and saying we're saved by grace alone it doesn't matter what you believe you can believe false things about the gospel and still be okay like a Roman Catholic and so. He's basically holding to a form of eternal justification, denying the very material principle of the Reformation. But a point of irony here too is that that's exactly what Rome teaches, isn't it? Right? When you when you talk to a Roman Catholic, you say, "Yeah, we don't believe in uh, salvation by faith alone. We believe in uh, salvation by grace alone." Right? And they'll explain that grace comes through various means. Right? It comes through uh, the sacraments, etc. Right? It's being it's being infused into the sinner by the different means that the Roman Catholic Church has set up. But something that you hear from them is that is that, that grace is distinct. It's, it's so distinct from what you believe and what you do that you can have that grace, and it can come in different degrees. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And I know that's not what Wilson is saying specifically, but the, the point of uh, similarity here that I'm trying to uh, draw out is the idea that uh, that grace is this thing that saves you apart from these apart from faith and the specific contents of faith because that's essentially what you have in romanism as well there's a reason why you can have uh, baptismal justification because and this is a reason why you can have what the reformers railed against which is implicit faith right just believe whatever the church tells you to believe and if you even if you don't understand it yeah yeah exactly it's a form of like man you you nailed it it's a form of implicit faith and it doesn't really matter what you believe that that's what the roman catholic church teaches they teach implicit faith you don't have to worry about what what to believe. You don't have to. You just have to basically uh, give blind allegiance to the to the magisterium of Rome, and you'll be okay, and and do what they tell you, and you'll be okay. And this is a form of implicit faith and eternal justification, and and it is the it is the, at the. This is the conflict with Rome, and this is at the core of the Protestant Reformation, and he's fundamentally denying it. And contradicting it with this nonsense that he spouted in just a few minutes in this interview. And so it, it's just, it's incredibly perverse how he does this. And well, even in, in Vatican II, also, right? I believe it's Vatican II, they explicitly say that uh, there are people who, who are going to be saved um, despite their, uh, what is it called, invincible ignorance. Yeah. Right. Right. Of doctrine, and again, that's implicit faith, but that's taking to a whole nother level, right? Or it's taking to a whole, a whole other level. Uh, saying basically, again, uh, even more so. Not only do you not have to believe explicit propositions of the scripture, not only can you just merely be mistaken about them, you can live your whole life in 
in contradiction to the clear teaching of scripture and because you're quote unquote invincibly ignorant you will still find salvation right that's that's straight up romanism that's roman catholicism and that's something protestantism does not teach but that's what doug wilson is embracing it seems the same sort of idea there you know you can be an invincibly ignorant roman catholic but because you have found grace by what means i don't know well he believes in he believes in um union with christ at least externally quote unquote uh through baptism so i don't see how that's any different from what the church of rome teaches right you can be baptized and if you're baptized even if you remain invincibly ignorant for the rest of your life you have been united to the church you have salvation you can have salvation because it doesn't matter what you believe it matters whether or not you've received grace through the means of grace in the roman catholic sense through sacraments and through uh you know the seven sacraments baptism uh, the lord's you know the uh the eucharist etc you see what i'm saying it, i don't see this is one of the things like people don't see that they don't see how clearly doug wilson what he's saying what he's embracing lines up with what the roman catholic church teaches grace comes to you through whatever means it's dissociated from what you actually believe the content of what you believe and you could actually remain ignorant of what the truth is and still be saved that's not that's not christianity that's not what the bible teaches that's what the church of rome teaches specifically if i'm not mistaken again in vatican II, they say something along those lines that ain't christianity it's not the bible yeah it's just it, it is it, it's so it it hurts my pains me to to have to listen to the nonsense this is two clips you know this was a 55 minute interview and an eight minute clip and just from that alone you see the mass of confusion and perversion that this man is 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 spewing from his mouth and it is not something that should be recognized as sound as biblical as reformed as protestant even even christian like it's it is so it's just such it's nonsense it's utter nonsense the way that he's he's speaking out of both both sides of his mouth and with a forked tongue and it's just not something that it, it really is it's very frustrating because you see people um you know I, I was seeing some other interviews some other people talking about this uh, about doug wilson and they, they were trying kind of hinting they were sort of hinting at what you what you said earlier about clark that r scott clark is the he's portrayed as this the, the elite the elite academic right who has the credentials and so he should be listened to and he's upset with wilson because wilson isn't credentialed and he's not um he he didn't go to seminary apparently and he but yet he has his own little church network that he started and he's got all these books and people are listening to him then they flock to him and they they like him and because he's a witty writer or whatever and it's like okay and they're portraying it as a sort of David and Goliath situation, where it's this academic elites versus, you know, the 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 untrained, uneducated, um, you know, superstar that that conquers the 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 elites at their own game. And it's like, man, this this is trash. Like, it's and it's it's not. I mean, it it I can see how it could throw people off because it's very the way he does it is so devilish. Because he affirms and then he contradicts right after. But if you don't understand the definitions well enough, if you don't understand the terminology or the doctrine or the or the definitions well enough, it could throw you off. And it could you could easily 
be misled by by Wilson's ramblings and and heretical ramblings and so it's it's just it's it's unnerving to 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 witness this and see people you know it's just very frustrating and and I'm glad that we I think it was important for us to talk about this again because um th this needs to be brought out this needs to be brought to light and people need to recognize that this is so often the case with false teachers and it it is also the case with men like John Piper and so well, I, I think something that maybe if you want to take add this in or or not or whatever um something I was going to tell you is that um one of the reasons why um, our Scott Clark is attacked also is be why he's being uh, raised up as the arch nemesis of Doug Wilson, right? And the only one who opposes him. Um, one of the reasons why is and our Scott Clark is the guy who wrote the book called Recovering the Reformed Confessions, right? And he is mocked as somebody. He's often mocked as somebody who uh, who believes himself to be part of the TR group, the truly reformed, right? So much so that he doesn't ref he doesn't believe Reformed Baptists are Reformed, right? And I understand the reason why he believes that. I, I get his reasoning behind it. It's not because he's a player hater, right? Which is one of the more annoying things too when you enter theological discussions. If your if your favorite theologian reduces the opposition he's facing to player hater uh, <laughs> interaction, you know that that's basically the theological equivalent of saying okay boomer. You know what I mean? Like there's no substance to it. Um, but that's what Doug Wilson is doing, and R. Scott Clark, I'm convinced, is is chosen specifically by Doug Wilson because R. Scott Clark will tell Doug Wilson he's not reformed, and he'll also tell the Reformed Baptists they're not reformed, and he's telling us these things for two different reasons. You know what I'm saying? For Doug Wilson's case, there there's a whole reason why he's saying you're not reformed, and it's because you are flat out in contradiction of the Reformed Confessions in places X, Y, and Z. And for the Reformed Baptists, he'll say you're not Reformed because you're in contradiction of uh, covenantal theology as articulated by the Reformed tradition, right? And I get that. I understand that. There's a, there's a distinction to be made there. But um, when you are playing a personality off of other people in order to appeal to their egos, in order to flatter them, what you have is what you have one guy who has this position where he says he knows who's Reformed and who's not, right? That's the that's the caricature of us, our yeah. Scott Clark that he's the sole determiner of who's reformed, and then you you say he's saying Doug Wilson's not reformed in the same way that he's saying Reformed Baptists are not reformed. That's not the case though, right? That that's definitely not the case with with um, our Scott Clark. I met our Scott Clark years ago. I went to uh, where is it uh, Westminster, California, for they have this this day where you go and you visit and you go to classes and stuff like that. You have lunch um, with um, with uh, academic, uh, who forget who it was? I think it was academic dean. I'm not sure, but it was David Van Druen. Had lunch with him, and I met R. Scott Clark in in chapel. And he's a cool dude. You know what I mean? It wasn't he wasn't like foaming at the mouth when I told him I was Reformed Baptist. He didn't even say I wasn't Reformed. You know what I mean? He yeah. didn't even bring it up. But the fact of the matter is, he does bring it up when it comes to lectures, when it comes to talking uh, about these things academically, um, and ecclesiolo ecclesiologically, because he has reasons for. We're saying Reformed Baptists aren't Reformed, and those reasons are distinct from the reasons why he will say Doug Wilson and the Federal Revisionists are not Reformed. There might be some overlap here and there, but the reasons are distinct. I, I believe that R. Scott Clark will readily affirm any Reformed Baptist who sound in his soteriology as a brother. But when it comes to the uh, the Wilsonites, uh, 
the federal revisionists, I don't see the same sort of uh, response coming from him toward them. And for right reasons, right? Because they got the gospel wrong. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I think that's yeah. one I think that's one of the reasons why R. Scott Clark is chosen is because, you know, Reformed Baptists can be because we're a small group, you can have somebody say, Well, look at R. Scott Clark. He doesn't even consider you guys to be reformed. You're gonna trust him? He doesn't think anybody's reformed except for him. And it's like, dude, that's not the case at all. <laughs> you know, it's just not the case. Yeah, so so Doug Wilson wrote an article called Heidelfog, basically j- taking a jab at R. Scott Clark's uh, Heidel blog. And he was also critiquing Brandon Adams' Brandon Adams article of Federal Vision Baptist. And so it's really interesting because Brandon and Wilson were going back and forth in the comment section. And... So, so get this, Th- this is interesting too, because you see the shifting, he's kind of, you know, Wilson is kind of like a, what do you call those shapeshifters? Those, um, the, those, it's like a vampire, those, those shapeshifting doppelganger. He's like a doppelganger. Um, Brendan Adams in the comment section asks him this, or do you believe it would have been both a gracious gift received through faith alone and a reward earned for perfect obedience to the law. And he's, he's specifically talking about Adam in the garden and the covenant of works. So Wilson responds and he says, Brandon, sorry for the delay in responding. Once God made a promise upon certain conditions being fulfilled, if those conditions were then fulfilled, then providing what was promised would be a matter of justice. But because God was under a compulsion, no, under no compulsion to make such a promise in the first place, the, the fact that he did so was gracious indeed. And had Adam obeyed, he would have done so by continuing to trust God and his word over and against the serpent's lies. And if and if he had continued to trust in that way, it would have been with God, it would have been what God had ordained for him, and Adam would have thanked the Lord afterward. So to answer your question, had Adam obeyed, he would have had every right to turn God in the expectation uh, that he would deliver on his promise. If he were if the if the going rate for lawn mowing in my neighborhood is $10 and I tell my son that if he mows it today I will give him $100 and he goes out and does it when he comes back into the living room I owe him $100 so there you see how he's contradicting himself once again because he's affirming the works principle he's affirming the works principle now in the covenant of works and he's trying to make it so it's like gracious um, in the sense that well Adam believed God and God had no God had no, uh, did not have to do that to Adam. And it's like, well, placing a conditional covenant of works is not a gracious thing. I mean, it's, it's a condescension. You can call it a condescension if you want. Um, but that's, that's still a, a, a total confusion of condescension and grace and law and gospel. And so Brandon, it's really interesting because Brandon responded with this. Um, if I have understood you correctly... What you have said here is what de- is what is denied by the joint federal vision statement. This is what the statement says. We affirm that Adam was in a covenant of life with the triune God in the, car- in the Garden of Eden, in which arrangement Adam was required to obey God completely from the heart. We hold further that all such obedience, had it occurred, would have been rendered from a heart of faith alone, in a spirit of loving trust. Adam was created to progress from immature glory to mature glory, but that glorification too would have been a gift of grace received by faith alone. We deny that continuance in this covenant 
and the garden was in any way a payment for work rendered. So what Doug Wilson just affirmed in the comment is a denial of this very article in the joint federal vision which he still claims to hold to. And so he could, the, the statement continues, Adam could forfeit or demerit the gift of glorification by disobedience. But the gift continued the, the, the gift or continued possession of that gift was not offered by God to Adam conditioned upon Adam's moral exertions or achievements. In line with this, we affirm that until the expulsion from the garden, Adam was free to eat from the tree of life. We deny that Adam had to earn or merit righteousness, life, glorification, or anything else. So, this is, and the, the joint federal vision statement itself is a massive confusion because it, Doug is basically trying to, he's trying to, um, he's trying to elaborate this and it's, it's a total mess. It's a total confusion of law and gospel, of grace and condescension, of work and, and faith, and it, it's just a total mess. And you can see how in this very comment, Wilson contradicts himself yet again with what he said with James White. So it's it's just this is not something that you need to be wasting time over with constantly trying to see what he said here and what he said there and him re repackaging stuff and reaffirming and then contradicting once again. It's like a constant cycle of error. You know, he he affirms the right thing and then he contradicts it later on. And then he contradicts it earlier on, and then he contradicts it later on, and it's just—it's a dizzying mass of confusion. Like this is this is not somebody that you should be relying on for uh, for pretty much anything at this point. I mean, it's just how can you trust somebody like this? Well, um, like so I get, I basically wanted to close out with that and just, uh, but uh, yeah, go ahead. I, well, I was gonna say just just to recall something I said earlier about you know sociopathy or sociopaths like. Heretics, another way that you, you can look at it is like a guy in an abusive relationship with a woman, right? He'll say the right things, and then he'll contradict it, and then he'll put the confusion on the woman in the relationship. It's your fault if you don't understand where I'm coming from, because obviously I love you so much that blah, 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 and then turn around and begin to be abusive. It's the same sort of thing, you know, same sort of gaslighting technique, where this is the reason why people run around chasing after him. And they fall in love with the personality rather than what he's actually teaching is because it's gaslighting. You know what I mean? It's kind of like with Al Mohler and the Southern Baptist Convention and all the stuff that's going on with white privilege and all that. Out of one side of his mouth, he's saying this. Out of the other side of his mouth, he's saying this other thing. And he's appealing to two different groups. And in the midst of uh, all the fog that he's throwing up, you know, the irony uh, with Wilson's article being called Heidel Fog, he's the one that's causing the fog, not the Heidel block. You know, R. Scott Clark is incredibly clear. Doug Wilson is a source of perpetual confusion. Uh, the same thing is happening with, you know, people like, like I mentioned, uh, Al Mohler in the Southern Baptist Convention. Like, where does he stand? Is he for us? Is he against us? Is he for uh, critical race theory? Is he against it? I don't know. Let's look back at some of the things he said before. Let's look at the stuff he's saying right now. And if you ask him, he'll deny it, but then he'll say something behind your back that confirms it. You know what I mean? Well, that, that what does that do? That leaves you in a perpetual state of dependence on him. Right? And it, it's a great way of getting people on your side yeah. on, on on his every word it, it, mm -hmm. it yeah it, it's all about the person it's all about the personality involved it's not about the truth you know and that that's what i see exactly with doug wilson as well the same sort of gaslighting i'm going to say this here i'm going to say this somewhere else 
And I'm not going to bother to put two and two together for you, even though it is the minister's express duty to do so according to scripture, right? You don't have the liberty of being a fork-tongued serpent as a minister of the gospel. It is your duty to speak the truth, to be forgotten, to die and to be forgotten, right? Like like the, the statement goes, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. That's your job. You're a voice on the wilderness. If John the Baptist, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, was, you know, identified himself as a voice preaching in the wilderness, pointing everyone to Christ, then why is this one person, Doug Wilson, or any other teacher who's in the limelight, who's contradicting himself, desiring for people to hang on their every word? It is their job to be clear about the teaching. Yeah. And if they're yeah. not being clear, we need to not listen to them until they get their act together. Yeah, that's a great point to uh, to end to end with because that is exactly the problem. He's developing a cult of a cult of personality, starting with his own denomination and being the leader of it. And this really shows the problems with that. Um, he's all about he's a one man show, and everything just basically hinges on the last statement that he makes. And um, so. This is dangerous stuff, folks. This is this is the very definition of false teaching and false teachers. Uh, you're seeing it at play with 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 a man like uh, Wilson. So I we I'm glad we, that we brought this up again. I think we needed to flesh this out a little bit more and kind of clarify uh, some of the things that we had uh, that I had made that I had stated earlier in the previous episode. And so I think hopefully this was helpful to people and. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to jump into the the article on Piper, um, but uh, I think next week we'll get a chance to, to, or next time we'll get a chance to cover that, hopefully, Lord willing. And um, so thank you for tuning in, and until next time, God bless. God bless.